and welcome to another episode of Two Steps Back, a Two podcast. Steps back. There's the jingle again. A podcast all about history. Now, this time we are, well, at time of recording, we are in the middle of a pandemic. Coronavirus has sort of swept across the world. Unfortunately, a lot of people are picking up the disease and uh, a lot of deaths as well. And this is kind of the the biggest um, pandemic like this, certainly in the modern era, and certainly the biggest disease that is, that is affecting people globally for quite some time. But we're going to go back, um, being a history podcast, uh, to various outbreaks of uh, diseases, particularly diseases that have affected uh, the UK across time. I'm Dan, by the way, and uh, I'm joined again by Chelsea, history Hello. expert Chelsea, and a little viewer um, advisory on this one. It's not going to be nice, this one, is it? Well, this... we've got more diarrhoea and um, more bloodshed and, unfortunately, some quite disturbing facts. Okay. That doesn't sound great. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, yeah. Not, advisory. Not, not a lot of nice detail about this apart from the ones we're going to be talking about i mean they all got cleared up eventually so that can be maybe put towards the coronavirus we, yeah so we're going to be talking about the things like the plague the black death yeah it's various forms you know it had an ending eventually yeah although people don't uh, really know why it left oh okay. <laughs> so sorry for and that one not the spanish flu Yep. Which is a bit more recent. Yeah. In terms of it being the nineteen eighteen. Eighteen. Nineteen eighteen. Nineteen eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the First World War. The end of the First World War. And what was the other one? Cholera. Yeah. We we're gonna talk about as well. So, um we can go back and we'll start the one that we're gonna look at. Obviously there have been many different illnesses and diseases that have kind of gone rife throughout the whole of Britain. So we're gonna start in about 1348 and we're going to look at the Black Death and when it hits England. So it arrived in 1348 in Melcombe in a port in Dorset and that's where it kind of started and it travels really quickly. So it then goes and spreads uh, to Bristol and then to London and by 1349, so the next year, it had gone to the far north of England and it had attacked all of Wales and it was also in Northern Ireland. So the disease spread really quickly. It is said to have spread 500 miles in 500 days. So quite wow. the transmission rate. Wow. That is quite a transmission rate. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know how it spread? Would it be just human contact again? Plays a role. So originally it was a germ which was called Yersinia pestis. Um, that was inside the fleas, which were transferred by rats. So this is along trade routes quite often. Um, the rats would go on board ships with these fleas um, and then because of the fact that they're on these black rats and they're on the trading ships they then went to most of Europe's ports so lots of countries across the whole of Europe uh, received this horrible disease we can see places in like Turkey getting it as early as 1347 so it's really quick spreading it affects lots of people and it is carried by rats um, it is thought to have originated in Asia. There are different opinions, but the majority of historians hold that it came from Asia. Um, and it was spread through the trade links. Mm. Okay. So it's spread throughout the whole country. 
Yep. Is there any signs of it slowing down? I mean, what 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 happens next? Um, so there are three different types of plague. Um, so you've got bubonic plague, which is from a flea bite, and that causes painful swellings, also known as buboes. Um, in the armpits and groin and it causes an intense fever and blisters all over your body which would look kind of blackish in their kind of colour. Uh, death then followed just a few days later. Um, you were a bit luckier if your buboes popped a black liquid would come and ooze out of it. Nice. Um, yeah it's a pleasant image and just remember it popping and then it, like this oozing liquid coming out. Um, you actually had a better chance of surviving if that did happen because you're getting the badness out of your system um, but it took a while for them to realise that and it wasn't until the 1360s that people started to realise that that they were having a slightly better chance of living. If you got the bubonic plague, it was around a 50% chance of you living. So that's actually got quite good statistics um, for the time period. If we look at some of the other types of plague that were kind of going around, so the Black Death of this form, they're calling it the Black Death because of the way in which people looked from this illness. The black spots. Uh, yeah. Um, there was septicemic plague, which is caused when the infection reaches the bloodstream. There are no buboes, but the victim bleeds freely and the fingers, toes or nose turn black and begin to rot away. So that's a particularly nasty one. Mm. Um, if you caught that one, I think the death rate was about 100%. So you really? have a... Everyone who caught it died? Yeah. No one survived If that. they showed those symptoms, they were going Sept to die. Septicemic black yeah. death. Um, septicemic plague. Yeah. Mm. So not very pleasant no. and not a very optimistic way of viewing it um then there's pneumonic so pneumonia we think of pneumonia is to do the lungs pneumonic plague therefore is um caught by breathing in cough droplets from somebody who's already infected by plague the victim violently coughs up blood and may be dead within two days so it's much faster killing it's incredibly violent way for somebody to die unfortunately mm. and um obviously there might have been better hygiene for people with more wealth or in higher power, was this the case that they generally stayed clear of it or, or did it affect everyone, it not, affected not just everyone. those in poverty? Um, I think that was what was so scary. I think the people who were wealthier hadn't known diseases like this. There were other illnesses which killed a lot of the poor, like ergotism, also known as St Anthony's Fire, which was caught when it had been a wet harvest um, the poor ate this rye bread which had this horrible fungus that was growing on it um, and they got this illness and they often died from it um, but this illness was killing indiscriminately it killed good people as well as bad people and they were a bit questioning about what was going on here remember their understanding of medicine is very different from what we understand for medicine so what we'd assume to be something that was not too bad or something that we could actually kind of solve they were looking towards god they looked towards other things that were causing it so some of their beliefs about causes of plague and the black death is they believe that the movement of the planets it left led to movements <laughs> in the lands and then these bad smells coming out which is known as miasma so the belief that these bad smells cause disease um they believe that god was punishing them for, them, for their sins there's <sighs> They believe that their body is made up of these four humours and that one of the humours is out of balance, so they bloodlet to try and make these humours back in balance. So their understanding of it as well probably almost feeds into their fear and the reason why they're so scared of the Black Death. So 
not mm. particularly pleasant either if you're there and experiencing it. Moving on again, what what was the... Well, you, you said towards the beginning they didn't really know the cure for the plague. Yeah, they still don't really, and we don't really know the cure for the plague. So I think that's an important thing to remember. We don't have a cure for it, so this is one illness that did stump a lot of people. Mm. Um, medieval people knew chamomile lotion, which was made from daisies, offered some relief for inflammation of the skin. So they did actually put these on the buboes and it did help their pain. Um, they also tried doing some other things such as tying live toads and chickens to their buboes um, in an attempt to warm and soften the painful hard swelling. Chickens? Yep. A live chicken on your face? No, to your bubo. So your buboes are in your armpits and your groin. Oh, your armpits and groins. So you tie it there. Right. On your bubo. Okay. Yeah. That would be pleasant, I imagine, for the toad and the chicken. Yeah. would love this on them. Yeah. Also just really comfortable, generally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and these, these people would just be... Obviously, it would have to go on the skin. Yeah. These people would just be walking around with their, their trousers up, but with a couple of chickens. <laughs> I never really thought about it much past the fact <laughs> that I knew that they tied them to their bubos. Um Well, they used to do other things. So wise women at the time, for cures like a sore throat, they would tie live um, worms to a piece of string and then tie that around their neck and have that touching their skin. Mm-hmm. So they have different ways and they believe of different things for the animals. And then once the worms had dried up, it was believed that your your bad throat would be gone. So, Has anyone tried tying a toad to their armpit as a cure for coronavirus? As far as I'm aware, no. Okay. But I could be wrong. Um, So another way, you know that I said about the four humours and the four humours being out of balance? Mm -hmm. Well, they then chose to let blood. So letting blood is when you cut your arm or your vein to try and let the blood flow so that you can restore the balance in in your body. Um, obviously that makes you weaker your immune system is weaker because you're bleeding yourself which meant that sometimes those people would either die quicker from the plague if they had it or was that people just doing it themselves um, yes or, or you could go to a barber surgeon a barber surgeon yeah <laughs> remember seen, they don't I've have doctors those... quite the way that we see today uh, yeah, I've seen those kind of medieval um, well barbers with the big scissors but also dentists and things like that as well that have um, interesting tools to use back then. Yeah, I mean, there's some really good documentaries on it um, which had look at the barber surgeons and what they were doing. I mean, some of the things that we've got in our modern day culture come from the barber surgeons. So when you go and get your cut, um, when you go and get your barber yeah. to yeah. do your hair, um, you know, the piece of this thing that spins outside which is red and white oh yeah uh that was originally red and white for the bandages and blood that really? they would do because they would do surgeries inside wow. so that's where it comes so that bar- and they would also barber cut shop sign yeah they would also mm. cut hair because often there wasn't an often at the same time for, probably not at the same time i imagine when they were taking off limbs and stuff because they did that as well it <laughs> right probably wasn't a great a experience <laughs> um but they'd need to make money and the only way to kind of have a steady income was to cut hair as well as to do your surgeoning. Wow. So Those two professions went hand in hand back then. Yeah, I mean, it did. 
And to give you an idea of the impact, we see number of wills going up that are written. Hmm. So people are, are writing wills at this time. And in London, in 1348, the number of wills was 15 times higher than it had been in 1347. So in one year of having the plague, hmm. they note that they're going to die. Hmm. Um, another thing that they did as a response to the Black Death, I said about the fact that they were worried that God was punishing them. Mm-hmm. So there were, because it's old school Catholicism, so not something that is done now, um, they believed in flagellation, um, which is flagellants who walk the streets and they whip themselves to try and absolve the sins of the people around them. So they'd go along. It happened more so in mainland Europe, but it did happen in the UK. And they would have these flagellants walking from town to town, whipping themselves to try and absolve the sins of the people in that area. Wow. Um, obviously, when we're looking at this, they're going to church to try and pray to make sure that they don't get it. Or if they've got the signs, they go to church to try and get rid of them. What are they thinking that they've done so wrong? That, that What have humans done wrong, you know, that, that God would... Uh... Well, lots was changing at this time. It was a time of change and people were more and more going to the cities, not to the extent that we see in the Industrial Revolution, but Mm. there is changing kind of culture at this point. And they believe that some of that change God was seeing as bad Mm. and some of the things that they'd done. Other views were that children themselves were being naughty and they were punishing the parents for not having kind of dealt with their children severely enough. There's many different views on it. Um you just need to kind of get yourself into the medieval mindset that actually it is a god-fearing society and this is something that they can't explain away and they don't see the reason why they're suffering so badly so it's going to have a massive impact wills have gone up we're going to see mass graves unfortunately being dug so you won't then be able to say goodbye to your loved ones in the way that you'd want to because they need to get rid of the dead very quickly Mm. because they're going to church as well um it meant that it spread quickly because you're going to a communal area. The reason why we've shut down is because we know that commun- being in communal areas isn't very good when there's illnesses and disease going around. Um, normal life obviously doesn't quite go as well, so they didn't get their final last rites, which is important for the Catholic faith that the priest comes and does the last rites with you. Um, but because people were dying so quickly, they didn't always get that. So with medieval beliefs that's going to have a massive impact if you don't believe that your soul is going to be looked after it's you're going to have this fear about what's going to happen to you in the afterlife especially if you think that you're being punished Mm. by getting the disease so Mm. we're not seeing an overly positive kind of mindset at this point Mm. um on top of that we could also look at the death rate so it's estimated between a third of england's population died other more recent research has said about 60 percent we don't wow. fully know because of the fact that the records weren't kept as much as well as the fact that so many died in mass graves mm. and we don't tend to touch those graves much. Touch those graves? Well, you don't want to dig up the graves where Black Death was. Are they... Are they <laughs> <laughs> is it noted, I don't want to touch them. Is it noted them. where all these, all these mass Quite graves are? Quite a lot are of them were. For the plague? Quite a lot of them were, not all of them. Oh. So it's oh. something to really think about. Mm. Um... The plague did hit towns the hardest, so it spread quite rapidly from house to house, and householders were forced kind of lodgers, but even their own children, out onto the streets. So we see this family ties, some of them breaking up because of the plague. They're so scared and so fearful about it. Uh, the rich and 
often did move to the countryside and hoped that that would work because they were in, in this cleaner air. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not very positive. And one thing that the government does do as the national government in April 1349, so a year after it's come, King Edward III wrote a letter to the Mayor of London with very clear instructions to clean up the city. And he actually says, look, you need to clean it up. It's so dirty, it's so messy, you're causing this illness. Mm. So that's something that positive that he does do, but they did do very little else. Mm. So it did continually hit, and it hits throughout the 1300s into the 1400s. So everyone was sort of left scratching their heads a little bit as to how to solve this, really. Yeah. Mm. Do you think it might have been just people who survived it becoming immune to it or it seems very strange because obviously it is continuing and the next big kind of epidemic that we see of the black death is the plague the great plague so yeah the 1665 was the next big big one but they did have continual kind of bouts of this illness going throughout so it's not like it just suddenly stopped and came back it's one misunderstanding that we often get it's continual but their beliefs about it it do change and what Mm. the government are doing does change as well so do we want to talk about plague we'll Mm. talk about the black the great plague the great plague of 1665 we'll actually look at some of the government steps before that and actually whether or not that was effective and what they were doing Mm -hmm. um so if we start with 1518 which was when henry the eighth was on the throne you know that i love my tudors yeah well henry the eighth he actually issues a proclamation and he says that we need to start isolating people progress okay Okay. self-isolation not self-isolation just isolation uh this prevention in england it would last for quite a long time but he said that people who are in infected houses uh should be identified so they should have bundles of straw being hung from the windows of infected houses for 40 days bundles of straw from infected houses yeah okay so people knew not not to go near yeah um, and if anyone left the house, because they were allowed to leave the house, this is where it's slightly different to the modern day, um, they had to carry a white stick so that people knew to avoid them. Wow. Yep. And and grow their hair long and dye that white as well. Um, not Just quite generally to the like Gandalf a <laughs> level, but um, obviously it's the first step that we see national policy now trying to make a big impact. Um we also then see from this proclamation that mayors and aldermen who are meant to be running the towns actually had to do something so as well as shutting up houses where someone had the plague they also started to isolate victims in pest houses pest houses yeah what's a pest house so these are um buildings which they would house the sick outside the town walls so the aim was that people would just stop that kind of infection by isolating them in a, in a building, in a room. Mm. Um, and they also put watchmen, and an example of this is in, I think it's York, on the River Ouse, um, where they actually put watchmen and they just kind of made sure that people were being checked as they came in. Hmm. Okay, so they're throwing everyone into one building, into one pen. Uh, in each town, yeah. In each town. It changes again. So when Elizabeth comes to the throne, we know that Elizabeth made quite a lot of changes. Um, Elizabeth first ordered printing of plague orders. So this is the plague orders that are quite famous. And these had to be sent to all the counties and towns across England. And this was in 1578. So she was trying to make a big change. 
Um, in her 1578 plague orders, she ordered things like no cats, dogs, or tame pigeons should be allowed on the streets. So we start to see cats and dogs being killed. I don't, I don't know how they managed to try and get tame pigeons off the streets. I, I can only imagine with what they did there. Mm. Um, they also had aldermen collecting money to help support the sick. So actually trying to bit, get a bit of that charity and actually look after them. Clothes and bedding of plague victims being burnt. Funerals should take place at dusk to try and reduce the number of people attending. So they're trying to stop that spread. Infected houses in towns should be completely kind of shut up for at least six weeks with all members of the family sick or healthy still inside so you just shut them all in mm. and then watchmen should be appointed to enforce this order so you're not allowed to move for six weeks if you got this illness in your family mm. um not too far away from current lockdown situations yeah i mean six weeks is a long time and you're reliant on people to get food for you you're not allowed to have anyone some, leave some elderly and vulnerable during this current pandemic are being told 12 weeks aren't they yeah at the moment but well, it varies from country to country but if you're sick and vulnerable yeah you're saying it could be up to 12 weeks that's protecting them this is to try and stop it from spreading so this would be if somebody with the illness okay ah, yeah, yeah. whereas we're just saying for i think it was seven 14 days depending mm. on i'm not too sure but so yeah seven if you've got it and then 14 if you were in the house with somebody infected i think it's yeah. um then there's another plague order there's many plague orders in this time in 1604 um which tried to extend help to people of sick families to try and make sure that they're looking after them so we do see it changing but there's still lots of death so what remedies do you think have changed from the black death what ones do you think they're still having a go at remedies from the black death well i don't <laughs> think we're tying toads and chickens to our groins and armpits correct That's we have one. slowly stopped started to stop doing that anything else uh i'm guessing in that time there wasn't particularly a, uh, that much in terms of medicine or no um not at all very little um so no no painkillers either they had the chamomile lotion which was soothing that, on the inflammation of the skin on the skin yeah but if you generally daisies. just have a fever stuff like that uh, if you've got a fever remember they believe that your four humours are out of balance so they bloodlet think that still goes on? I do not think that goes on though it still does really? they're still bloodletting wow where? <laughs> across England I mean by this really? point it's mostly in the towns it's very rarely in the countryside so what year are we talking? We're talking 1600s. <laughs> I thought you meant mo I thought you meant modern day. Oh, not modern day. We're not doing that modern day. I mean, we do use leeches for various bits of medical things. What modern day? Yeah, modern day medicine. Really? Yeah. Leeches. Yeah. Oh, I've never seen a leech in a hospital before. Um, they sometimes use it to put the um, if you let's say severed a finger, you and cut off the top of a finger they might use a leech to bring the blood to the top so that they, when they re reattach it there's right. a bit of more of a flow of blood i've missed the leech cupboard yeah sorry that's through the hospital back. <laughs> <laughs> the back of the hospital is a leech cupboard okay anything else um just the general facilities and the I mean, the 1600s, there's still executions, there's still mm. witch trials and things like that. Mm. 
We're things like antiseptic and stopping infections and things like that generally. Not yet. Not yet, no. So we have in both Black Death and Plague scapegoats, so people that they blame for the illness, and these are often people like the Jews. So even as early as this, we see the persecution of the Jews, which is horrendous. Um, and that will continue into the 1600s, which is very really sad. Um, we've also mm, that's got... That's quite a theme throughout history, isn't it? Yeah, and we can for look at that reason. for a whole episode, yeah. and we can look at some of the reasons why, because there's many different historical beliefs about the reasons behind that, mm. none of which obviously have any kind of validity, but it's something that is important that is looked at because mm. it is something that is forgotten it's almost like only the one thing happened and that's it it's actually quite a vast history um they still turn to god because they still believe that god was the cause of it they are a protestant country now remember what we said about the break with rome henry the eighth changing mm-hmm. the religion well that's still there but the catholic responses flagellants are gone that's no longer there but they would english protestants kind of would pray they would fast so the idea of not eating which could limit their obviously their immune system as well so they're doing things which could be kind of seen as having an impact they also would behave well and believe that that would help so if they did good things then yeah. they shouldn't get it so remember it's the idea of punishment so um, instead of santa you know if you're a good boy santa will give you presents at the end of the year <laughs> if you don't behave well you'll get the plague kind of thing yeah because uh, God will punish you. Um, some people still do run away. So we saw that for some of them. But it's not always possible for everyone. It is more the rich that could do that. Run like, away? Running away to the countryside. Oh. Remember, it's mostly in the towns by this point. So yeah. it's slightly changing. Isolation again. Again, isolation. Yep. Um, we also have physicians and apothecaries becoming more common. So physicians would kind of look after those who could afford to pay. And it would only be those who didn't run away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's not very many. Um, if you were a physician, you might don the very popular outfit of that bird mask kind of thing that you see in images. Yeah, the kind of crow's... Crow's beak, beak kind yeah. of leather mask mm-hmm. that we see quite commonly when you look up things to do with the plague. It's the plague doctor. Mm-hmm. Um the reason why it was a beak was because they put sweet-smelling herbs at the end and they'd wear a very thick leather coat all over and they would hope that that would stop them from catching the plague because they believed that miasma, the bad smells, were causing the disease so they wouldn't smell it, so therefore they shouldn't catch it. Obviously, it actually does protect them to an extent. It stops fleas from being able to get through because it's thick leather, so you can't get through to the, to the skin, but you're still putting yourself at risk. It was the Elizabethan surgical mask. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in they weren't way. really doing much surgery, I don't think. It was more going in and trying to ease the pain. They're just the ones where you can't... Well, in this case, it would limit your ability to smell, or you smell... The sweet-smelling sweet, herbs. Sweeter smells. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so really it's not advanced very much by this point. But the government are starting to do more things. So we are seeing some progress there. But Mm. actual general cures for illness, it hasn't changed very much. Okay, what are we moving on to next? So the Great Plague. Yep. During the Elizabethan era. And done the Black Death, and we've seen some of the changes that came about because of those. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to skip ahead now. How, How did the Great Plague play out? 
in the end. Well, the Great Fire of London ah, happened yeah. in 1666, and then after that, often people associate it with killing off the rats that carried the disease. I don't know how much I believe in that, but I don't really know the reason why it left at that point. Okay. There are different beliefs about that. Um, mm. it, it seems just phased out. It was. It's weird. Obviously, London could have been the main. London was the area. name of the Great Plague. The Great Plague so only really affected the London. Fire. I mean, the fire killing all the rats would be a bit strange. But you a can see strange. some truth in that. But then, if you think this has spread across the country and to other towns as well, then but the, the Great gr- Plague only affected really London. This is what I mean. Oh, it really? went smaller and smaller. Okay, so this one didn't spread. The Great Plague didn't. Well, 1665 to 1666. Mm. It was mainly affecting the big towns, London. Just London. And other cities? Not very many. Okay. So it is... Yeah, it's weird. Somebody else can find research into it. I can't seem to find an answer. (laughs) (laughs) I I can try again. (laughs) If I find out the information, I will get back to you. (laughs) Okay. So after that? Um, So we go into the Industrial Revolution and living conditions... Because of the demographic explosion, the population just increases rapidly, and they are lots of people moving from the countryside into the towns and into the cities. So places like London boom, and there are houses that are built back to back. There's horrible pollution in the air. The smells, the way in which they're looking after human waste is absolutely foul. It's just not a very nice place to live. Um, Some really crammed in terrace housing. Yeah, and we looked at it with what happened in Bretonside with the cholera epidemic um, in Mm. Plymouth Barbican. It's happening across the whole of the UK. Mm. So this isn't something that's unique to one area. It's unfortunately really unsanitary in the towns. It's not very pleasant to look at. It's not a very nice place Mm. generally to live. And the worst areas were the ones closest to the factories because these were the houses that were built for the factory workers, low-skilled, really kind of impoverished. They didn't require you to have any kind of references to have a house, none like that. It was just you come in, you pay for your week, and then you're off. Like Very limited with the amount that they were actually doing. Therefore, they're not investing in living conditions. So we see horrible privies which have these like drop down cesspits underneath which are very close to the water pump because of this situation unfortunately diseases come about and there's many diseases during this time including ones which are spread through the air like um, tuberculosis uh, influenza those diseases going around and killing people Mm. we have also typhoid typhus diphtheria all of these are rife throughout industrial britain so we're seeing actually you'd hope that the your life expectancy would increase but actually in this time your life expectancy in a city is really low you don't expect to live till 30. period we see the wonderful and very deadly cholera which is still unfortunately around um in the uk we don't have this as much because of the fact that we've got 
good systems in place we also have medicines that stop us from getting this illness however in some countries they don't have that so this is an illness to be aware of because it is still around especially if you're a traveler um in the sense that you travel to different countries you need to be aware of it um it's often caused by the infection going into either water drinking water or food so it's transmitted by that so it infected food substances or water uh, more often water so when feces goes into the water system the illness travels through like that um, so it first arrives in 1832 um, and it's in a few places like Leeds um, this illness it makes the body dehydrate because you suffer violently with vomiting stomach cramps and diarrhea which very quickly goes into a yellowish watery liquid your diarrhea is incredibly bad um the body then begins to dehydrate very rapidly because of the vomiting the diarrhea you're just not able to keep liquids in uh therefore your pulse then weakens and your skin turns blue because mm. you're not getting the oxygen so it's really nasty and that's mm. what some of the images that you can see um because there's many artist drawings at this point of cholera and they are quite harrowing with the mm. way in which they show this illness We've also got the growth of cartoonists, so they're oh, yeah. playing on this as well, and they do it in a very clever way, so there's some very good source work that you can get on this. Um, you usually died within one or two days, so it's a really quick death rate. Mm. Um, if you were to suffer with cholera today, you'd get hydration. You'd have, an, I imagine, an IV drip, and you'd mm. have that. Um, I'm not too sure, I'm not a doctor, but that's what you try and deal with so that you're not having that dehydration. Mm. Um, cholera reached place called Leeds on the 28th of May on, in 1832 and because of that unfortunately we see the deaths go quite quickly and it does spread really fast and unfortunately lots of people die um, we see that also in London and we're going to see a lot of people even people related to Queen Victoria's court suffer with this if they're living in those sorts of kind of areas mm. so um with this, what do you think they believe is causing this illness? If we're in the time of Queen Victoria, the causes of it. Mm. Well, you said drinking water. Yep. Um, what did they think? The actual causes so of the infected water, but what did they think? They didn't know at the time. Nope. For quite a while, was it? Yep. Um. Because it affected the stomach and diarrhoea and those kind of things, they might have thought it was something to do with food or drink, uh, something being passed on there. Um, again, something something potentially in the air that so they were breathing in. you're thinking a bit in. more scientific? Yeah, potentially. Okay. What about God? <laughs> what about God? That's another podcast. Um, I mean, it starts in William the Fourth's reign, and it goes throughout the whole of Queen Victoria's reign. Yeah, obviously, there will be a huge proportion of the country still. It will be very religious. Queen Victoria herself, incredibly religious. Yeah. So, do so, you yeah, think? I imagine they might have thought this is, um, you know, another stage of God coming back and punishing humanity. Yeah. Or just just the United Kingdom. Was this a global disease? Yeah. It was a global disease. 
So yeah. Well, I mean, it still it still affects some countries. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It definitely affected many different countries at mm. this point. So yeah, they might have believed that that was it was another act of God. Yeah. So um, vicars or priests um, preached that cholera was sent as punishment for people's sins because this time we do see the rise of probably less community and the idea of community probably dwindling in some areas not all because community is still very important in a lot of these areas but also we've got the idea of prostitution becomes much more well known in these very depraved areas um, which have very poor living conditions so the priests are saying well it's because you guys are living in sin now Mm. you're not looking after yourselves so they do believe in god as a result um they actually on the 2nd of march 1832 the government sought god's help and asked for his help by having a national day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer. So, in 1832. <laughs> well, this is what they're is hoping. Fasting in the morning, humiliation <laughs> for lunch. <laughs> no, all day one? fast. All day fast. And I imagine the humiliation will probably to do with uh, confessions and things like that. Um, as well as just trying to say, well, this is what I did wrong. But people can confess in church anyway, can't they? Yeah. But that so encouragement with the national government. Was this just them on their doorstep shouting out their sins? <laughs> I that don't was, think that, so. That was a humiliating part of it. <laughs> Would be pretty humiliating. <laughs> um, no, it's the fact that the government had ordered this. Oh, really? So this is a national day of it. Mm. So the government are kind of... What was the third one on there? Uh, on prayer. Oh, prayer. So just praying. After, after your humiliation, you can yeah. start praying again that you won't catch cholera. <laughs> Yeah, basically. Uh, some doctors believe that cholera was contagious, so we are beginning to see that some of the doctors are thinking that it's that way, but they think that it's kind of transmitted through touching each other. So if I touch you and I had cholera, you'd get it. But that's not how it spread. Mm-hmm. If I was to use the toilet facilities and then you'd drink the water very close to its pump and it became infected, that's the way it happened. Yeah. But because they were in close proximity to each other, mm-hmm. because of the fact that they're using the same water pumps... Mm-hmm. That's why it was spreading, but they thought it was through touch. Yeah. So again, not a very popular belief at this point, but one that probably nowadays we'd see as more logical. Um, but the most common belief, you're right, is miasma. So that belief in bad smells causing the disease. Um, and this was due to the human waste that was on the streets and also the decaying kind of matter that was on the road and rubbish. Mm. So... Um, there were actually some responses to this. So in 1842, a man called Edwin Chadwick, he writes a report. And his report says that the poor are living in awful conditions. And this is the reason why they're often going off sick. So he makes the con- link between poor living conditions and making people ill. So he makes that link. And that's really good. It's a positive step. And he writes this report to the government on their behalf. They asked him to do this. So we're seeing the government starting to make a step here. Because before, they have a bit of a laissez-faire attitude, which means they don't really care about the poor. Um, So as a result, um, they actually had the 1848 Public Health Act. So the 1848 Public Health Act was something which was non-compulsory unless you had a certain number of deaths, which meant that you had to then improve your situation. But they advised for like general boards of health to be set up and doing things like removing rubbish, cleaning things clearing the pavements so they were quite positive um some boards of health tried to get rid of the bad air by burning tar barrels which we actually see they do, them doing in the plague 
Um, others paid for people to remove rotting rubbish and dung hills from the streets and courts. In some towns, chloride of lime was added to sewers to make them smell a bit better as well. But none of these were actually solving the problem, so that death still kind of came about. Towns were encouraged to set up local boards of health due to the 1848 Public Health Act. And they had inspectors to monitor the outbreaks. Um, some local authorities actually had people, like we saw with the watchmen on the River Ouse in New York with the plague, they had them around to make sure that people weren't going in and out and weren't showing signs of the illness. Um, and also we see cholera hospitals being set up, so isolating the sick again. Mm. And some created cholera burial grounds. So they may not have been solving the problem head-on, maybe, but these are all positive changes brought about by this disease. Yeah, and um, it is a step towards the government starting to act, mm. which they weren't really because doing before. they didn't before. care before, really. No, because it didn't affect them. And some arguments could come about... I mean, the 1875 Public Health Act, the one after the 1848 one, was compulsory. It did lead to the improvement of towns and living conditions. But that was after working men got the right to vote. So with working men getting the right to vote, we start to see positive changes. Hmm. Because they have to listen to them, or else they're not going to get voted back into power. Hmm. And that's something that's quite important to remember. We got time for our final illness. We have got time for our final illness. Yep. Okay. So final illness is Spanish flu. Very topical. Everyone's talking about it at the moment during the coronavirus because it's the last pandemic that we saw. Yeah. Of real like international like knowledge, and it's also in some people's living memory. We know there's very few people that lived during this, but there were a couple. Well, there were a couple that still lived through it. Um, so between 1914 and 1918, we see lots of people dying due to the World War One. Mm-hmm. Yep. However, in 1918 um, and 1919, 50 million people die as a result of the Spanish flu, and this isn't as well known. And it took more lives in one year than the Black Death did between like ten years. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's a really deadly illness. What do you know about the Spanish flu? Again, not too much, to be honest. I think once a disease like that passes away, it's kind of... It's part of history then, isn't it? Unless you study it. Yeah. You don't really want to think about it. Probably not, and symptoms themselves are really not very nice. Hmm. So do you want to know the symptoms first? I mean, we've gone through quite a few already. Yeah. So this one obviously spread differently. We'll talk about how it was actually spread in a second. But it would start with signs of like your common cold or flu. So really normal. You'd get a chill, high temperature, headache and pains in the back and limbs. What you'd get for your normal flu. Hmm. Um, And for some, the symptoms stop there. And we see that often with the coronavirus. So this is why people are drawing parallels. Uh, For others, it turns into a vicious attack of pneumonia. Okay. Another parallel. Blue patches and dark spots appear on your cheeks, indicating that the body is struggling to get oxygen. So that idea of deprivation of oxygen, that's causing the blueness because you're not having the blood circulate and your skin's not getting enough to turn that reddish or pinkish colour. Then they might start bleeding from the nose, your ears or stomach. Um, as they're fighting for air. So it's basically like you're suffocating. 
and liquid is kind of filling up um, and this is something that you actually see for some of them they spit up blood and it's really nasty and um, there was a good documentary called the forgotten fallen um, which is about a doctor during this time who was looking into it it's a really good documentary if you ever get a chance to look at it um, and that has a really dramatic scene of him coughing up blood and it's spurting onto the glass and the hand then falling down mm. um, and that's from this horrible illness um, someone could be healthy at the normal like morning and by evening they could be dead so mm. it's a really fast killer mm. and it's nasty in the way it works um, it was particularly terrifying because <laughs> it wasn't reported in the UK because we were fighting in World War One, they didn't want to dampen morale. Mm. And if you're talking about a deadly virus, people are going to be scared, they're going to be worried, so they're not going to be wanting to think about the war and working towards the war, and they're not going to want to go to work in the munitions factories, working together in close proximity if they're worried about this deadly illness. So, so as a result... This, go on. Did this start after the First World War? towards the end of the first world war so the war was still happening the war was still happening which is why it's probably so deadly at this point because we don't know much about it at this point in the uk mm. but how is it spreading how is it spreading like normal flu so through the air through contact mm. so this isn't very nice and the government don't want to cause panic they don't want people not to go to work in the munitions factories we're close to the end of the war they know it's so close the one place that was recording and we're talking about it was Spain because they weren't currently involved in the war. So they were publishing about it. Mm -hmm. So that is why it's often called the Spanish flu. Okay. It's not because it, it started, started in Spain. It didn't. Then we know it didn't. <laughs> um, where did it start? Do you know? Well, this is where different beliefs come about. Now, I've seen one documentary which said it started in America. I've seen one which said it started in Asia. I've read documents which say different places, so I need to get a more firm, you know, grounded on this. Mm -hmm. The documentary that said America was more recent, so that could be more accurate, but I need to have a look more at the primary resources mm. and sources to be able to get a more fresh hand on that. Um, the issue was that the soldiers were contracting it or kind of getting infected with it and then would return to Britain on leave. So they'd bring that illness back. Mm, but they so didn't know. They didn't know. The first wave in Britain actually lasted from June to July in 1918. It then died down before it surged back in October and December. It reached its peak just at the end of the war on the 11th of November, if you think of the reason why. Everyone going to party. End of the war. Celebration. Oh, see, yeah. You're seeing your loved ones come back. Mm. Massive parties of celebration. The war is over. This horrible First World War. The Great War the war to end all wars all the names that's been given mm. that is over the turmoil of the trenches is mm. over the men can return home so the massive parties happen you but that means you, you're putting yourself on in that a... on that day you wouldn't want to tell people actually it's probably best you just stay inside and have a quiet drink yeah celebrating the end of the war yeah <laughs> the you're not going to say that because the crowds and yeah it just meant that it erupted throughout it mm. it fades again but then returns again in february to may of 1919 so this flu hits three times three mm. massive waves mm. and it changes in its nature for those three different times and national government because of the fact that they don't want to cause mass panic because of the fact that they're trying to finish off the war at first um they decide that local government should be the one to do deal with it and because they're saying to local government that they're the ones who deal with it, 
you get conflicting advice. Because okay. if I tell you to go and teach a class, if I then go and teach a class, the same topic, the way in which we're going to do it is going to be very different. We've got the best intentions, we want the same things from them, but the way in which we do it is going to be different and the same thing happens with the Spanish flu. So we see advices such as don't drink alcohol, drink alcohol, hmm. close your windows, don't close your windows. Yeah. So the people will not know what to do at this point and the hmm. national government doesn't give any guidelines. Hmm. Um, the, a case study that you can look at is Manchester where actually there was a lower death rate and this was because of a doctor called Dr James Niven. Now he was um, the medical officer in Manchester and actually... He's quite famous for what he does. He keeps de detailed records of the deaths and the infections of Spanish flu. He actually encourages cinemas to play, play advice as well, to be able to try and get the news out as well and to spread information. Mm -hmm. He refers to records of earlier severe flu outbreaks. He sent health visitors door to door to keep record on special cards of who needed help, who needed coal for heating, um, or who needs food so that they weren't going out. Um, he also used simple language to give ad people advice, like spit kills, to try and limit people from actually having that cross-contamination. He also encourages the use of masks by the, his nurses. So those masks that we're talking about a lot now, he's the one that says, no, you have to be wearing them. They're going to protect you. Hmm. So he's a, he was a one-man NHS at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's... <laughs> Spreading the right messages anyway and doing his own research. Yeah, Hopefully. spreading the right message, doing the right research. He visits factories and schools as well to see for himself how the disease is affecting its victims and providing advice on how to kind of avoid it. He actually urges the council to shut schools to slow down the spread of the illness. So, But that was just locally within yeah. Manchester. Yeah. And National we, government didn't, no. didn't look at him or... It takes didn't. a long time for them to act, to do anything. Mm. Um... 2,000 people did die in Manchester, but that was actually so much lower than those of other cities like it, like Glasgow or London. It's so much lower because what Dr James Niven did was reduce that infection rate and try and limit those that were dying from it. Hmm. But obviously there was a strain on hospitals at the time because large numbers coming in with this horrible illness, they had to then get student nurses and student doctors in. So it's a massive impact that the Spanish flu has. Uh, was anyone told to sort of isolate? Was there any? Oh, it depends on any local, local government. Yeah. This is where the issue was, and mm. the national government was so slow to react that it was changing very quickly by this point. But you said the James Niven was it in yeah. Manchester was I was telling cinemas to display health messages public yeah, health messages little videos on the at the beginning before the film started but obviously that tells you that a lot of people are still going to the cinema <laughs> yes <laughs> and still gathering in those places yeah um but they did actually could stay open and he did actually say that they should be disinfected between shows and that they should have good ventilation so he's trying to improve the conditions because he knows how it's spreading he can see it's through transmission through p particles in the air so he knew how it's spreading but couldn't do very much about it but he was trying to do his best to try and reduce the amount of deaths that they kind of had. And again, how was this? How did this settle down? How was this cured? It just it phased out again. <laughs> it this was, is where it just went away. <laughs> well, it came in th three waves. Yeah. And killed a lot of people in each one, but it, it affected different people at different waves. Mm. So it seemed to target certain groups of people in the first wave, 
and different groups in the second wave and obviously we do have natural immunity to certain illnesses as well mm. okay what are the comparisons you can make from spanish flu to current day coronavirus i think it's hard we don't know what's going to happen with coronavirus and to an extent that can be quite scary um our government is doing a lot more than the government back then we have less to do to deal with on a national scale than we did back then i mean a world war that was coming to the end after four years of brutal battle it's a very different context to what the world that we live in now we are seeing more and more people actually listening to government advice as well the government advice is very clear and it's very precise in what it is actually saying whereas back then having it just up to local government i don't think i'd take it as seriously if it was just the local government telling me to do something mm. as I would national government when national government is telling you to do something you know you need to do it mm. so as long as we heed the advice I'm hoping it won't have the same sort of devastating impact because it shouldn't do yeah um, I mean we are having various local messages but that's mainly for um, you know local councils and to tell you what to do with your bin collections and and times like that and what's happening with local shops and services and yeah, hospitals but it's not advice on what, how to deal with it mm. it's just what we're doing mm. and though the, though the advice started out a little bit vague from the government at least it's kind of it's it's national advice and eventually and they shut schools nationally yeah eventually our people people are listening to it as well we have better medical help as well now they didn't exactly, have the ventilation yeah. systems, they didn't have the ventilators. Masks weren't given to everyone. I mean, masks were something that James Niven was actively trying to encourage the use of. Nowadays, it, if you're working in a hospital, you expect them to be wearing masks. Yeah, I mean, if there's, a, there's an era to live through um, where you do have a pandemic going on, this is a, a better era than any, really. Certainly better than the days of the, the Great Plague, the Black Death. <laughs> cholera yeah. i mean black death when Spanish flu. some of them are 100 percent death rate yeah that's a different that's, not good. that's a whole different kettle of fish <laughs> no. so yeah well i think that's good in some ways to look back at those kind of things although the actual cures themselves were a bit hit vague and in hitting this until in terms of how they faded away in terms of the modern day we're getting better advice i mean We've cholera got, when due to the fact that we had better sewer sy systems coming into place basil jet invented the sewer system in mm. london and then used the engineering knowledge and spread that across the nation mm. so now our sewage doesn't contaminate our water source which is quite important mm. but so, also in this day and age if you if you have a message from government we find out on our phones yeah. or computers or tvs you know live yeah. as as that message is going out whereas imagine imagine even if there was a local government advice during the Spanish flu, they would probably find out the next day in the newspaper, maybe. Yeah. You certainly wouldn't. They certainly wouldn't go on Twitter. Uh, you got the radio. the radio. The radio is is it's coming in. The wireless. Yeah. <laughs> Just about. It's not. It's not in every home. No. Not at this point. So yeah, the message is slower to get there. Mm. It will be there though. Obviously, by the middle of the century. Again, I think our message is we, hopefully, fingers crossed, are better equipped than than any era before to deal with this, and just got to trust in 
in in two things. I really thought you were going to say God then. We just got to trust in two things. Um, one being, you know, our national government advice, and two being our health service. Yep. And and the health services globally, and and how, um, you know, scientists and researchers and med- medics sort of the best in the world are coming together and trying to put a, a vaccine and a cure together for this so that's our our slightly positive spin and take home on this yeah on this very <laughs> depressing and diarrheaful and blood filled what, what should our next podcast be to be a bit more cheery um the destruction of native american culture not really that that cheery no slavery no <laughs> still um, not cheery the norman conquest are you calling these things was norman conquest cheery uh, it depends on your viewpoint <laughs> it all involves death doesn't it uh that is history anyway enjoy I'm... two steps back yeah because there's no sport on at the moment i might look back at uh, the world cup in 1966 when england won happy days yep you could look at all the, the olympics in 2012 olympics in 1936 the Berlin one. Yep. We could do. Could do. I mean, the Olympics through history would be a good one, that's saying. Anyway, we're talking about <laughs> other podcasts and we should be wrapping this one up. So, thank you very much for listening and thank you. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.